Hello and welcome to the Simple Faith Podcast, where we are exploring authentic Christianity for normal people. If you're joining us for the first time, we are so glad that you're here. Uh, My name is Dave Betts, and usually my wonderful wife, Sherea, is my co-host. But since our first baby is due any day now, she's taking a bit of time off to focus on, uh, you know, baby things. So it's crazy times here in the Betts household. Today, we are going to talk all about missions. What on earth is missions and why is it crucial for us as the global church? But you don't need to worry, it's not just me. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by our special guests, Marty and Becky Frisk. Uh, Marty and Becky are in St. Catharines, Ontario, serving with Christar, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but for now, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, when we decided to talk about missions, uh, you were the very first people that came to our minds. And we have a lot of friends who are in missionary work. And so I just want you to know we appreciate you so much. We've known you for a few years now, and we just love the way that you speak with such enthusiasm and joy towards mission. So before we get into it, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourselves, please? Well, I grew up in a mainline denominational church and uh, knew a lot about the Bible and all, but I didn't really believe until there was a young lady I was interested in. It it wasn't Becky, uh, but her dad was a pastor. And uh, I had been going through some things that really helped me to see that I I didn't really know the Lord. And so uh, he prayed with me and I trusted Christ. And I remember walking down his front steps and thinking, you know, I wasn't like elated, but I was saddened that I had been involved in church for all these years and never really understood what it meant to uh, trust Christ and follow him. But my life was totally different from that uh, point on. And I really wanted to see people come to Christ. Uh, I went to Bible college out in Virginia, and that's where where we met. But I had a uh, preaching professor there. Australian guy. And he said, you know, all you preacher boys need to uh, go to Urbana, which is a, a huge mission conference run by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and get a burden for missions. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. And all. And I found out, oh, you know, I really can't go to that. It's inconvenient. It's at Christmas time. I need to see my family. But the Lord really spoke to my heart and made it possible for me to go. And when I was there, John Stott, one of your uh, fellow um, (laughs) Britishers, he made a statement. He said that 99% of the people in the world who have never heard of Christ live outside of North America. And it was like I was, you know, hit on the side of the head with a a stick. Well, Well, where are they? And I discovered that, you know, there is just millions, literally billions of people in the world who don't have an opportunity to hear about Jesus because they're uh, behind cultural barriers. They're physically distant from Christians. They don't speak the same languages that uh, Christians around them speak. Lots of other uh, reasons for that. But I was just shocked. And so I made a decision that you know, I wanted to try and, and do something to to change that situation in the world. And so I started uh, reading and, and learning more about this world that we live in. And that at that time, about a third of the people on the earth did not have access to the gospel at all. And a great number of them were Muslim peoples in Muslim nations. And so I was looking at, you know, well, I could go as a messenger to a Muslim nation to communicate 
Jesus to them. Uh, in the midst of this, that's when we started dating, and she just thought I was, uh, you know, going to be a pastor of a church. That's what I was studying for. I was in pastoral studies, and she heard I was interested in mission. She said, "Well, that's that's a good spiritual thing to be interested in, but you can fill in a little bit more there." I was raised in a very godly spiritual home. I was in church from. Before I can remember, I grew up knowing the Bible. My family read the Bible every night at supper time. (laughs) And my mom actually told me that I uh, asked Jesus into my heart when I was four years old. Didn't remember that at all. I believed my mom, but it, it wasn't real to me. So when I was 17, after hearing a message, I realized that I needed to make this real for me. And that's when I. I told, told God that I would follow him wholeheartedly. And when I went to Bible college, I actually was in a business, a major, uh, because that just seemed practical. It was and, more, more of a Christian university rather than a Bible college. Right, right. Yeah, it was a Christian university. And so I was in the business program. And when I, Marty and I started dating, I thought, okay, I can be a pastor's wife. I can... I could be his secretary. I could play the piano for the choir. We can live in the parsonage beside the church and all that. And with that information in my mind, him being very concerned for the world and this future church we were going to be at, uh, I said yes when he asked me to marry him. And we often say we think God laughed hysterically on the day we got married because I certainly had no clue what was in store. And when Marty started talking about him and me going to the Middle East, we doing missions, I was just blown out of the water. I, I, uh, I was like, well, I wouldn't have even dated him if I thought he was going to be a missionary, you know, because my idea of missions came from my aunt was a missionary. And she, as a young woman, she was beautiful, would wear makeup, very stylish. When she became a missionary, seriously, she went ugly. She stopped wearing makeup. (laughs) She pulled her hair back tight into a bun and, uh, you know, high collars, the whole thing, you know, started pouring boiling water over tins, you know, just weird, weird stuff. And I thought, yeah, that's not me. You know, I'm most comfortable in jeans and makeup and uh, can't do that. And But when Marty started talking about missions, I thought, okay, I'm going to read stories about missions. So went to the church library and the books they had on missions were about men getting speared in the river or, you know, people giving their lives, you know, in the jungle. and I'm like, I'm not, I don't even go camping. I could not imagine becoming a missionary because in my mind, it was jungle, jungle stuff or Africa stuff. But we went up, ended up going to a a very modern city. How was the food? Best food in the world. (laughs) We, We ended up going to Turkey. Honestly, I believe they have the best food in the world. God's kindness, right? God's kindness to Becky Friss. Uh, he didn't send me to the jungle, to a mud hut. He sent me to a city. 
where I could wear jeans and makeup. And major city, four million people. It was. We eventually got a telephone. It um, for me, it really became an issue of trust. Did I trust God to take care of us in a different place? And did I trust God enough to care for my family um, back home? And when I could answer that question with yes, God is big enough to do that. I was ready to obey what he was asking us to do. So that's how we we ended up in Turkey. I can't imagine my life any different. We loved it. We loved the people there. We learned the language. We had had deep friendships with Turkish people. And, um, and still have them today. Still have them today. Through the joy of social media. Yeah. So that's our story into into missions. That's so good. We've been talking a lot about missions and, you know, you've talked about some of the kind of the stereotypical views of missionaries, you know, spears being impaling them and various other things like that. You know, my stereotypical view of a missionary, as I was talking to you before we started this, this call was of someone with white robes kind of walking around maybe somewhere in Africa or somewhere like that. And, uh, and to be honest, I kind of assumed that that wasn't the case today, but didn't know what it did look like. So here's my question. What is missions and what is a missionary? Well, it all goes back to Genesis, I believe. Um, we're, we're missionaries we, because we believe God's a missionary God. God's on a mission. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and fellowship was broken with him, you know, man, man was made in God's image. We were made to glorify God and to relate to him and have fellowship with him. But that was broken because of our disobedience, and we were uh, cast out of the Garden of Eden. Death came into the world so that, you know, eternal separation from God would take place. And heaven is the restoration of of that relationship, face-to-face fellowship and relationship with God. God wants to relate to us so that we can enjoy him and honor him and, and glorify him. And, you know, the whole story of the Bible, you know, you, you go to, you know, there's the, the first chapters of Genesis, but then Genesis narrows down to uh, chapter 12 to one family, Abraham's family. And he said, your family is going to be blessing to all the families of the earth. So from the very beginning, that was God's design to bless all the families through a savior that was going to come, that was going to be the offspring of Abraham. There was a, a, a promised Messiah was going to come through Abraham's line. And that ends up being Jesus. So, you know, we we think of uh, this command to reach the nations is is one that's just in the New Testament that, that Jesus said at the end of his ministry. But it's all throughout the uh, Old Testament. For example, Isaiah 49.6 is called the Great Commission of the Old Testament. It says that. Jesus, this Messiah, is going to be a light to all the nations of the world. So, you know, the Old Testament was not just about the Jewish people. It was the story of this missionary God who was using the Jewish people to make himself known to the world. And eventually the Messiah, the Savior, would come through the, the nation of Israel, the nation of the Jews, uh, to us. And that, and that was uh, Jesus. And so then at the uh, end of his ministry, 
as he revealed himself to be the savior of the world, he died, he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days after that. Then um, he ascends into heaven. And before he does that, there's five recorded instances in, in all of the gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the first chapter of the book of Acts, five times Jesus gives us these marching orders to make his sacrifice for sin known to the whole world so that people can come into relationship with him. And he's given this responsibility to the church. And we can talk a little bit more about the day of Pentecost and how that symbolizes that this, this ministry of God of making himself known through Jesus and now through us, the church, was passed on to us. But the um, anyway, so it's a this task of making Jesus' sacrifice known, this message, the good news that we can be reunited with God, reconciled with him because of the sacrifice of Jesus is a message that's given to us. And, and, th and this is what it means to be a missionary. It comes from uh, a Latin word that talks about sent one. It's the translation of the word apostle. Apostle is someone who's, who is sent. And that's why we call Jesus 12 disciples. We call them apostles because Jesus sent them out. Also, Paul was sent out. But the, uh, the Latin word for that was the root word for apostle from which we get uh, missionary. So missionaries are sent ones. And primarily, we have a message. Yes, we do good things. We, we bless other people. You know, we feed them. You know, we help the poor. But we do this more as examples. That's not our primary work. Our primary task is to make Jesus known. And it's the, the goal of the church, as we see a church come into being in these places where there is no church, that church lives out God. It's like God moves into the neighborhood through us. And so we're hands and his feet. And then the missionary, once the church is established, they go on uh, someplace else that uh, someplace else where they don't have the possibility of hearing about Jesus. So a missionary is a very specific person. They're a messenger specifically going, as Paul said, I made it my ambition to preach Christ, not where Christ is named. So not where Jesus is known about. So a missionary goes from one place to where the gospel is not accessible and shares the gospel and models the gospel in his life too. Some of our some of our missionary friends, we have one couple who the wife is a midwife, the husband's a doctor, and they've moved into this Muslim neighborhood in the Philippines uh, to bless that community with health care in order by taking care of physical needs, it opens a door to talk about spiritual needs and their need for Jesus. We have uh, some friends in Japan. And they put on children's clubs, and this week they're doing luncheons for uh, ladies and just doing fun. They'll do craft nights, and they'll do clubs and different things, English clubs for children and that kind of thing. It's all, it's all designed to open the door to conversation about Jesus. So depending on the country... Um, like where we were in Turkey, Marty, they don't just open the door to missionaries, do they? So Marty was a ESL teacher, I English taught, as a second language. I taught in a private high school and got paid for it. Yeah. 
So it really depends on the con- the country, what, you know, what tasks people do. Um, it's pretty rare in, in our world today that you can get an actual missionary visa or religious visa. Um, we do have some people in the UK, but they're, they're actually working with Bengalis mm. um, and also Hindus uh, in the UK um, because a lot of those people, people that have immigrated to uh, UK or to Canada or America, wouldn't walk into one of our churches. It doesn't make sense to them. So our missionaries are trying to make the gospel make sense in in their culture, their language. Yeah. So all of us, all of us in our organization, learn another language and learn it well. Uh, and that's the goal. That's that's the, that's the goal because uh, most of the people who don't have access to the gospel generally speak languages that other Christians don't. So messengers generally have to go and spend some time learning the language. Uh, generally on site, it's a lot easier. It's hard in my town to go and find uh, lessons on Turkish or, or some of the languages that these people speak to learn ahead of time. So we, we arrived in Turkey knowing maybe five words of Turkish. Oh, wow. But, you know, we, we were shopping and taking care of our basic needs within uh, three, three months. I mean, within two weeks, we, we uh, bought all the furniture we needed for our house, equipped our house and, and moved in, in, uh, in two weeks. And we did that pretty much all on our own with the Turkish we learned right away. Christar is, is in particular, we want to go where the church isn't. So other, other missionary organizations, which are great, by the way, are, have a different, different task in mind, maybe. But we're just talking from Chris Starr's point of view. And the places we are is where the church isn't. Right. We're, we're focused on that 20% of the world that is less. Is cut off. Well, less than even, less than even 1% or a tenth of a, a percent. And yeah, anyway, there, there's a, a lot of technical studies, you know, helping us to understand people groups and what's the largest group that the gospel can spread in uh, without encountering barriers of understanding and those kinds of things. And we call those uh, people groups. Wow. There's so much there. I mean, that was just awesome. I could just listen to that for, for ages. I have a few questions. Um, I think that uh, maybe maybe some summaries of, of what you're saying. So so missions essentially is that idea of, of being sent often to different nations, but mainly where the gospel isn't. I think that's what I heard you say. It could be like if you lived in Toronto, for example, you, you could be just going across the street. Uh, there's like 30,000 Somali people, some of the neediest people for the gospel in the world today. And yet they can be their neighbors and in, in a place like Toronto. So you, you, you don't have to leave your country. You don't even have to leave your neighborhood possibly, but crossing a cultural barrier to communicate the gospel with people who who don't have access to the gospel is what we're talking about. Mm. And that was going to be my next uh, question, actually, was we live in an increasingly multicultural world. Um, I live in Red Deer, Alberta, which is uh, 16% first generation immigrants, of which I am one, I guess. But uh, 16%, that's a, that's a high number. When you've got 100,000 people, that means 16,000, obviously, it's easy maths, first generation 
immigrants. That's a whole bunch of different cultures there. And you know, when you take think of somewhere like London, England, or Toronto, like you said, there's many, many, many cultures represented. So are we seeing missions change a little bit in response to that? Is there more missionary work at in our in our quote unquote home nations? Or are we still predominantly going overseas? What would be your reflection on that and your observations on that over the years that you've been pursuing this? Well, the world has definitely come to us. And again, I, I believe that's God's kindness because many, many doors are closing for visas or they're quite hostile to Christianity. And uh, they find out that you're doing religious work, they kick you out. So God in his, his sovereignty and his kindness is bringing them right to us. <laughs> we don't even have to leave, right? But there's a, I think there's a difference between being a witness. I think we're all called to tell the story of, of Jesus in our life, to our neighbors, to people in our, in our circle of influence. That's being a witness. Being a missionary is somebody that the church kind of lays their hands on and says, we want you to be our representative to these people or this group of people. So we have... There are people, you know, we found that God places this kind of longing and desire in people's hearts that, like, like, like I was struck when John Stott said that, that 99% of those who've never heard the gospel live outside of North America. That did something in me. And I've had this lifelong longing to be part of making a difference in, in that. And so God is touching people. And then the church is, as Becky said, commissioning them to relocate for the sake of his name. Generally, it involves relocation. There may be Somali people, but in, in Toronto, but it's, it's best to actually move into their neighborhood, just like Jesus moved into our neighborhood and became one of us. Yeah. So in, in essence, we can be witnesses in our own, own towns with almost missionary-like mindsets, can't we? But, but being a missionary is being sent. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think, um, Becky, you touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about some of your friends and what being a missionary actually looked like. One of the questions I was going to ask you was, what does it look like and for day-to-day life for missionaries? I think you, you kind of started to touch on this. It looks different for each person going, right? Let, let me talk about my friends in Mongolia, and then you, you talk about what it was like for us in the Middle East. So last year, I went to visit some of our workers in Mongolia, and you can't, you can't get a missionary visa. You have to have a kind of other reason for being there. And he was part, you know, he was an Alberta farm boy raising, raising beef out there in Alberta, which, you know, Alberta is so well known for. So they, they took their gifting, their skill, and they went to Mongolia, where there's way more horses than people and livestock. His wife had a, had a degree, actually, in... Uh, uh, what's the word? Horsemanship. Whatever. Equine something. Anyway, yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. So. yeah. But anyway, they, they lived in this uh, small town, and uh, they, they're the only, the only Christians there in, in the area. And they had some partners that worked with them, uh, other Canadians, and they started a uh, meat processing uh, facility. So they were giving work and business um, to the community and jobs and things and enriching the community. 
through their business, but also uh, sharing the gospel in their day-to-day lives. You know, it, there's lots of alcoholism and spiritism and, and uh, marriage breakups and suicide. In fact, one of the guys I talked to, the day after I met with him in our mission, he, he tried to commit suicide that night. He, he was a poor shot and, and missed his brain, and, and he still lives uh, today. But, you know, here, here my friends are able to interact with these people and, and share the good news of Jesus and, and seeing people transformed by that and marriages restored and people strengthened. Jesus transforms people. And, and like uh, we talked about, you know, our, our vision in our organization is to bring this transformation in the communities of people who love Jesus there. Mm. Wow. That, that's, that's so powerful. <laughs> Just hearing that story. Uh, incidentally, one of our closest friends, Shreya and, and my closest friends, they are looking to, to go out to Mongolia. You would know them. And they are, well, he's a welder and his wife, they're on the verge of having their second child as well any day now. And, you know, they are some of our closest, closest friends. And that's, that's, it's a big thing that they're looking to do. It's a big thing. Well, we, we know some, some other ones who were uh, partnering with this group there. He's actually starting a business in Mongolia where he can use welders. They're fabricating wild seed harvesters uh, to export back to Canada. And, and they're looking for people like your friend to team up with them and share the good news. We know that friend, by the way. Yes, I know that you know the friend that we know that you know. <laughs> uh, incidentally, if you're listening into the UK and you're wondering about harvesters and all of that stuff because you're not into Alberta farm life, then don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> there's, there's all sorts of other ways that you can connect that isn't through um, harvesters and various things like that. Uh, what I would say about this friend, this mutual friend of ours who has been on a short-term trip with you uh, to India, him and his wife, Uh, he went a few years ago. I need to tell a story about him quickly because I think it's really interesting. He came to the UK with me to visit in 2015. And I remember driving around and I was driving very fast uh, as well, normal speed in the UK, but fast by Canadian standards. And I remember parking outside the church that I used to work at. And he said, you know, Canadians just drive so much better than they do in the UK. And I said to him, well, they don't, you know, that's your opinion. (laughs) It's, It's just different. He was like, no, it's just, it is objectively better in Canada than it is in the UK. It's, it's stupid here. And I was like, well, no, it's just different. It's, 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 and he, I knew that he was going to India and I'd been to India before. And I said to him, well, you wait till you go to India. And a few months later, he went on this trip with you guys and came back. Uh, I think it was a month there out. Was it a month? Um, yeah. Well, he came back and one of the first things he said to me was, I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's just different. <laughs> it's just different because in India, it kind of just works, which is just a kind of a side story. Well, okay. that, that's, that's, right. that's because the British taught them how to drive there. <laughs> they drive on that other side of the road and that's why it's so chaotic. <laughs> I would never, ever agree to that or agree to anything you just said. But um, that does bring I me on to... I say the wrong side of the road. I said the other side. Very good. I appreciate that. <laughs> not not pejorative. Um, what I would say on the subject of kind of short-term missions, uh, I think that's a, it's a really interesting thing. What does that mean? You know, we talk, there's, there's this concept of short-term and long-term missions. Where are the value in, in both? Where's the value in both? And why would we send people on short-term missions? Is that helpful? Is it unhelpful? I mean, what would you say to that? 
So our goal is always that somebody that wants to explore what missions might look like for them or um, to actually fill a need that a team overseas might have, we would send somebody what we call short term. So from a month to two years, we consider that would be a short term assignment. But over the years, we have learned that a team doing short term work is not going to see a church established. It takes time. It takes knowing the language. It takes understanding the people that you're there with. So short term is brilliant in that it gives you a picture of what it might look like to live there. It gives you a picture of how can I pray for that missionary now better? It gives you um, an idea of, wow, maybe I should give some of my funds to help that missionary because he's doing such key critical things. So long-term missions is needed because just like Jesus came incarnation, incarnationally, is that a word, um, (laughs) to live with us, it took time, right, for him to show us there was a different way. So I would say for somebody that's looking, they want to make a difference in a place where nobody knows about Jesus. They've never heard about Jesus. It's not going to happen in a month or two years. It's going to take time. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, short-termers can, like you said, fulfill uh, a real need or like, like many times because of the language gap. I remember we, we helped a, a team from our church go to uh, Poland and we came alongside the long-term workers there and we ran an English camp for them. And we were able, because we were foreigners, to attract all kinds of new young people into their ministry that they would have never had contact with before. So we were kind of bait for Jesus, so to speak, <laughs> uh, to get to get those. But then uh, they established relationships with them, and uh, many of them came to know uh, Christ through uh, the work we did in, in establishing new contacts for them. So short-termers can have a play a valuable role, but there's so much more to seeing. Uh, the church established there. We've had we've had people that have lived in hostels in India, and because a lot of Indian young people know English, um, they were able to share their testimony. They saw people uh, place their faith in Jesus, but then they're gone. Right? Those those short termers are gone. So it was up to the people who were living there long term, like you say to follow up on them and disciple them and get them connected into a group of believers. Mm. So I think that's the difference. So what what I'm hearing is, uh, and tell me if this is a fair assessment, is that long-term missions is is obviously the best way of serving a community because you can get to know the community, but short-term missions is a valuable way of serving the missionary and helping them to do that missionary work. Is that fair? For sure. That's part of it. But I think also for the person who goes... Short term, it's 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 a benefit to them, isn't it? Because now their worldview is expanded. They've they've traveled, they've tried different food, they've talked and walked with people from a different place. I think it it does give us a better idea of how to pray for missionaries and how to pray for the lost. Because 
now the lost have a face. They have a name, right? But but I do need to say that about 90% of the short-term people who go out and summer missions that go out, go to places where the church is already established. And, you know, actually where these churches are, the, the Christians in the majority world far outnumber those in the Western world. And there's a lot we can learn from them. The only reason we go to them is because we have the money. Yeah. And it would be really beneficial for us to bring brothers and sisters from these places in the majority world to, to come here and serve alongside us. And we can learn from them. Yeah. And uh, they can really help us be more effective in our outreach here. There's an unbalance here and a lot of money, I hate to say it, is probably misspent in a lot of short term in the world. Yeah, it can sometimes be a bit of an excuse to travel. I think particularly with young people, that's something to be careful of. Right. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I mean, I think there is an element of cultural snobbery as well, where we in the West think that we have so much to teach those elsewhere. And I think it's good to push against that. I think what you've touched well, on yeah, there is I so have a good. very painful story about that. was in Afghanistan with my good Afghan friend who had fled the Taliban back in 96 and ended up, he and his family living here in Canada. And uh, I, I met him somewhere and I had been on a couple trips to Afghanistan and then he went on a trip with me. And so, you know, I had been at my dentist and, and he says, oh, you're going to Afghanistan. I have a bunch of dental supplies that, uh, you know, you can give and all. And so uh, I, I got these things from this dentist and brought them over with me. And we're out in this, in this village and all. And, uh, you know, I was handing these toothbrushes out and all. And, you know, uh, he took me aside, my good friend, and he said, you know, you, you think you're being this, this fantastic person because you don't, you, you don't think they have any dental health here and you're giving out these little dental kits and all this stuff. They said, we have these special trees here that, uh, you know, every morning these guys get a piece of it and they, they shred off the end of it and it becomes just like a toothbrush and all. And he said, they, they know how to take care of their teeth and everything. You, you think you have all the answers there, you know, just because you come from Canada. And, all, and he really, really rebuked me and all. And I remember going through another village that it was actually a toothbrushing uh, time in the day. And as I walked through this village, every single person had their thing out and they were doing their teeth and all. And and I named that village the, the village of dental hygiene. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, that's a, a great kind of illustration of that for sure. Um, I'm just... I'm conscious of time. This is the longest episode we've ever had. And I'm quite okay with that because this is the most fascinating conversation I think I've, I've had on this show so far. And I'm so excited for people to hear it. Um, but what, one of the things you talked about was some of the Bible verses that talk about being sent to missions, which is great if you feel called to be a missionary. But how does that apply to people who perhaps don't feel that call to go to other nations? How could they, how can we as people in our home nations, I mean, assuming that I mean, I'm now home, right? Even though I'm in Canada, how can we as people in our home nations help be part of the missionary movement without necessarily being goers? One, one major thing that every single believer should be doing every day was the command of Jesus. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. So that's something that every single one of us should be doing every day. We need to pray that God will send 
people out to this harvest of people, of souls that don't know him yet. So we can pray. One, one thing that, one way that I pray is the Joshua Project, and I think it's joshuaproject.org or something like that. But they do research on the neediest peoples in the world. And I have a, a listing of the 31 largest people groups where, where the, there are hardly any believers, less than 0.02% believers in any of these countries. I mean, any of these people, so 31 less, and this is 20% of, of the world. And like one of them is the, the Shaikh people of Bangladesh, uh, 85 million people <laughs> in that group. And, you know, the, just the number of believers is just tiny, tiny, tiny. And so I have a list of these 31, and I'm, I'm praying for a different one every day of the month that, that God would send laborers uh, to these people. Not, not, not from Canada necessarily, but some Christian somewhere needs to go and, and share the gospel there. It could be, uh, you know, uh, Indian believers from South India that go nearby. It could be believers from uh, uh, Burma or from China. But some Christian from somewhere has to cross cultural barriers to be witnesses to the Shai people. Another way that we can be involved is to use some of our, some of our money. And I know this is a touchy thing, especially right now, because, because of COVID and people losing their jobs. But I believe we need to be giving to people who, who sense God's call on their life to go and talk about Jesus in these difficult places. I think we need to give to them so that they can go. It's getting harder and harder. Churches are pulling in their budgets tighter. And so I think individuals in the church need to step up and say, okay, who do I know that wants to be a missionary and, and can't go because they don't have the funding? And if you don't know of anybody who, who wants to be a missionary, then you contact a good organization, a good mission organization that you know. Christar, for example, contact Christar. Who, who wants to be a missionary but needs funding? That kind of thing. I think we have a lot of discretionary money that we use at Timmy's or at Starbucks or whatever that we could we could save and give monthly so that somebody could go. You know, another big thing is um, not not just you know outright supporting, but investing in business people. You know, there 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 are people who we call it business as mission in. In places where you can't get a visa to be a witness, you can go there uh, for business purposes, like like our friends in uh, Mongolia. Uh, and they needed people. In order to get a business visa, they had to have $100,000 of investment money that they were going to put into the community. And, and we need people. And, and this isn't necessarily a grant that you give. You, you can actually get that money. There are, are Christian investment organizations out there that you can give money to and you can get a return on your money also. But we're looking for people who are thinking of expanding God's kingdom and investing their monies wisely for his kingdom. Great. So we, sorry, that's, that's so good. Thank you. I think, well, yeah, again, just to, to summarize where we've gone, you know, we want, we want goers, people who are going to go to these unreached people groups. And we're, we're really praying that God would, make us all senders, people who would 
be big prayer warriors for these these people and also givers. But another way that the church can serve is to be, you know, we can be of encouragement to the people that are sent out. This is this is really hard work. Mm. You know, you're 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 leaving family and friends and you're going and, and actually gaining a whole new identity. You're you're learning a whole new language, learning to live life in a different way. And you know, some people see, you know, immediate fruit and a lot of things happen. Others, it's a hard slog. It can be really discouraging. So we need to pray for them, but we also need to listen to their stories. You know, uh, so often come happens, our people come back and everybody say, well, you know, what's the weather like? You know, what do you eat? You know, and that's about it. Uh, they don't get questions about, you know, like, you know, how are you doing? You know, is it is it hard to learn the language? You know, not, how are you struggling? You know, what what kind of things do you, you know, we don't necessarily want to hear about those things. But other people, you know, we need to listen to their stories and to, you know, be of encouragement and, and help uh, to them. One last thing I would say, Dave, it's something that we can all do in Canada. I think pretty much regardless of where we live is to look for the people at our local Walmart or uh, at the grocery store and the ones that look different from us, the ones that are the ladies that are wearing a hijab or a Sikh man with a turban or whatever, and actually be curious and say, wow, I really like your outfit or, oh, where, where have you come from? Or something like that. And, and actually befriend somebody that's different from us um, in order so that they can actually meet a true believer, right? Somebody who actually believes in Jesus. They have all kinds of ideas of what a Christian is or should look like or whatever. And very little of it has to do with somebody who's actually walking and talking with Jesus. <laughs> so be, being a friend to those that are living right beside us. Yeah, I know a number of people who've uh, come to Christ out of a Muslim background. And like we, we were trained in this and how to share the gospel and that sort of thing. But most of the Muslims who's, who've come to Christ from across North America have, haven't been through the quote unquote professionals. It's been the average Christian who's reached out to them in love and friendship. And that's what it, it just, you know, you, you can be a learner and learn something new and, and, uh, eat some great kebabs in the process. Uh, so good. I think we'll, we'll finish it there, but thank you so much, Martin Becky, for your time. I, I, I'm so grateful for it. And I think this will be a really profound uh, conversation to be able to listen to and hear about missions. Cause for so many of us, it's something that's going on kind of over there in the distance and we don't really think about it. So to be able to, to shine a light on something that is so important for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus to get around the world is, is really huge. So Thank you again. We will we'll be back next week for our penultimate episode of the year for the Simple Faith Podcast. Have a fantastic week and we will speak to you very soon. Bye.